Thanks for being here this morning. Today is the Sanctity of Human Life um, Sunday, and as we pray and think about abortion and the need to pray that God would eliminate and change the legalization of abortion in our country, 1,200,000 babies, at least statistically, were killed this past year by abortion. The Bible says in Psalms 139 that we were, knit in our, we were knit in our mother's wombs. Life begins at conception, and it is a sin, and it is wrong. Abortion is wrong. And so we want to pray against it. We also want to pray for the women who have been deceived and lied to and said it's right and okay, and who are dealing with the guilt and the, the stress of that. We want to be, and give them hope and encouragement as well, which only can be found through Jesus Christ. And I would encourage you to look up abort73.com. Go home and look up abort73.com. It's an excellent website that talks about uh, um, all kinds of things dealing with the abortion issue, what a Christian's response should be, how we can get involved, and I encourage you to pray um, and take some time specifically today praying about that 1.2 million babies this past year have been killed in abortion. So we need to pray, um, and 50, over 55 billion, I think, around the world. So we're going to pray against that, abort73.com, um, but pray for women today who are making the choice, pray for the women who have made that choice, that they would find the hope and the forgiveness and the peace that they can have through Jesus Christ. So let's pray right now, and we'll look at God's word. Heavenly Father God, we do want to thank you for the gift of life. Lord, it is a special and a pr- Unique privilege that we have to be alive and just to be really alive. This is real that we are experiencing. It's going to help us not to take it for granted. Help us to live our lives and not waste them for you. God, I do want to lift up all the women who have had abortions, God, who are dealing with the guilt of that or who are still struggling with those issues. God, I pray that they would find peace and hope in Jesus Christ alone. I pray that you would bring people around them who could lift them up and encourage them and guide them in the correct hope of Jesus Christ. God, I pray you be with our country, that abortion would be no longer legal. Lord, I thank you for the change of mind that has been wrought in many people over the last 30-some years since the decision where it does seem to be a, somewhat of a change of opinion amongst people of what abortion is. So God, I pray that we continue to grow, that people would see it as sin, see it as wrong, and see it as killing life. Pray help us as Christians to be concerned and to pray about it even more than just today. But thank you for this day that we can speak about it, we can think about it, and remind ourselves of what go, is going on in our country, that we lift our country up, and that we would be the light in the world that you had called us to be. God, help us to be obedient to you and long for obedience so it would be for our joy and your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians Chapter 2. In 1985, a young missionary wife named Pam was pregnant. Or she, they moved in 1985 to the Philippines with her husband. And she became pregnant in 1987, but she contracted amoebic dysentery through contaminated drinking water. And the doctor said that she needed to take this special medication, but if you take this medication, it, is, it will cause irres, irreversible damage to your child. So you need to go ahead and have an abortion so you can save your life because your baby's just not going to survive. Well, she refused to do that. 
And so they had born in 1987 a long, skinny son named Tim. And in 2011, Tim took the world and the NFL by storm by his testimony for Jesus Christ. That was Tim Tebow's story. Pam's obedience, his mom's obedience to God, has led to the obedience of the gospel in many people. And many lives have been brought to delight in the to delight in God, and her family has been blessed by her obedience and going against what she was told, but she said, no, I'm not going to go against that. I'm going to believe that life is special from God, and God will provide. And Tim Tebow was born because of that. This morning, as we were talking about if we want to grow spiritually, if we want to grow spiritually in 2012, what are some things we need to know? And last week, we looked at brokenness. We need to realize that we need to walk in brokenness before God if we want to grow. This week, we want to look at, we want to need to walk in obedience. John Owen, a dead pastor from the past, said, The enjoyment of God in Christ is the mark before us. Our walking is a constant pressing toward it. The enjoyment of God in Christ is the mark before us, and our walking is a constant pressing toward it. That's the walk of obedience. It's Walking and following God so we can find our joy in Jesus Christ. Walking in obedience towards that. Can we please God by our obedience? That's what we're going to look at today. And hopefully, at the end, you would be encouraged and challenged to say yes and to desire this year to obey God even more than ever before. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Verses 12 through 13. Philippians 2, 12 through 13 says this. And we're going to look at a number of different passages this morning, so we'll kind of flip around a little bit. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and and to work for his good pleasure. In those two verses, it talks about obedience, and it talks about that obedience bringing pleasure to God. And we are supposed to work this out. We're supposed to walk in this. We're supposed to follow this and struggle through this and find out how do we obey in a way that will bring honor and glory to God and please God, that God will be pleased by our obedience. It's amazing. It is absolutely amazing that we can say that God says he will be pleased with our obedience. Is there a walk of obedience that is wrong? Is there a wrong way to walk in obedience? I think there is. There's two ways that God says it is wrong to walk in obedience. The first one is if we walk in obedience, in obedience of penance. If we think that by doing things that God says to do, if we do these things, if we think we walk in this way, if we obey God so that we hope that by doing all these things, God then will, from our doing good things, we will obtain grace from God, and that will make us right with God. And we will be able to have a relationship that is right with God. If we're walking in obedience that way, God says that's not an obedience that he is going to Honor. Romans chapter 3, verse 28 says this. 
For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And we looked at this all in the fall through the book of Galatians. You cannot do enough good works. You cannot be obedient enough to God that will earn you justification or right standing before God. You can't live this obedience of penance and think that if I just do these things, if I follow these rules of God, that that will get me to God. The Bible says, no, it is by faith alone. And there, Matthew 15, 8 says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So you can honor God by doing some things, but God says, I'm not going to accept that obedience because your heart is wrong. The heart is not right. That is an obedience that God will not honor, this obedience of penance. If you think that you're earning God's favor, that God is going to justify you before God one day because of all these things, that God's going to look at you and say, why should I let you enter to heaven? And you say, because I did these things, God, and then my good outweighed my bad. God's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. That is an obedience to God's will that he will not Honor, it's a wrong walk of obedience. And there's another wrong walk of obedience that I think even Christians often fall to. People who say, you know, I'm not trying to earn God's favor. I believe it's by faith. But I sometimes there's another obedience that we'll look at more. There's this obedience of debt. That I think sometimes Christians say, well, because all the things that Jesus did for me, because of all the things that God has done for me, I now have to do good things for him to kind of pay him back. That somehow if I just, he, he loved me, he died for me, so now out of just, out of just kind of debt, and sometimes we, we, we make it nice and say out of just this great gratitude, which is we should respond and obey out of gratitude. But if your response to what God did for you and your response of gratitude is like, okay, well, I've got to serve God now, okay, because God did so much for me, if I, I just got to keep doing things, and hopefully that will just pay off some of my debt like it's a mortgage, that's not an obedience that God is going to honor. That actually cheapens the gospel. That makes what Jesus did less valuable to us. That's not a grace that God is going to honor. So we can't have an obedience of penance. That if we're going to do these things, God's going to justify us, make us right with him. And we can't have this obedience that, okay, because God did all these things, okay, fine, I'll do this at church, I'll do this, it's my debt that I owe, I, I'm thankful, so I'll just do it. It's like you're paying a mortgage that cheapens the grace of God. And that's not a grace and obedience that God will honor. What is a right walk of obedience? I mean, Paul talks about it in Philippians chapter 2. He says a right walk of obedience is this, this an obedience, first of all, to the gospel. He said, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so he's talking to Christians, therefore, my beloved brothers, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. When Paul came to these people, they didn't know Jesus Christ. And so he preached the gospel to them, and they obeyed the gospel. Look at Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 16. Okay, nobody brought their Bible because I, I don't think it's on the screen. So flip over to Romans chapter 10, verse uh, 16. Romans chapter 10, it's a very familiar passage about why we need to send out preachers into the gospel, why we need to let people know that there is a, that there is a gospel. I'm going to start in the familiar part. 
which is Roman verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard, what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. It's a very interesting way to say that. These people have rejected the gospel. And Saul, Paul doesn't say, there are, not all of them have believed, some of them are still in unbelief. He says that, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. There is a right walk of obedience, and the first walk of obedience that is right is an obedience to the gospel, that what Jesus did for us on the cross, we accept that as truth, and we follow what he says because of that. There is an obedience into the gospel. How do we become justified? There is one way, it is through Jesus Christ. You say, what is this obedience to the gospel? What is the gospel? When I say the gospel, I don't mean the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, even though, though those contain the gospel. The word gospel means good news. And so the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the disciples of Jesus Christ who are proclaiming the good news of the gospel, that Jesus Christ lived, he died, he was crucified on a cross, he was crucified, he died, and he rose again. That's the good news. That changes everything. That's just not an inside thing that we feel inside of us where we can turn over a new leaf. That is proclaimed news that happened 2,000 years ago. It is a historical fact that Jesus lived and he died on the cross and he rose again. And if we believe that and if we obey the gospel, that changes everything for us. That is our hope. So the gospels are not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They proclaim the gospel. That's why we call them the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But the Gospel is the news, the proclaimed news that historically a real man named Jesus lived and he died and he rose again and that changes everything for us. And we have to obey the Gospel, first of all, to become, made, to become justified, to become made right with God. And once we are made right with God by accepting and believing and obeying the Gospel, we also need the gospel to help us walk in obedience, to help us grow. We never get away from the gospel. Here's what we need to understand, though, as Christians. is Now that we are justified, the big word is sanctified or spiritually grow, growing. How do you become more like Jesus Christ? If he's our goal, how do we become more like Jesus Christ in our obedience? And we need the gospel to do that. But we need to understand that after you've obeyed the gospel by faith, and that's how you obey the gospel, by faith, you receive and you believe what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago by faith. That's obedience to the gospel. And then you begin to grow and obey God in your sanctification, becoming more like Jesus Christ in your walk of obedience. But you have to realize we start at a different place. We don't start back where the person who's working in penance does. We don't start with that, where that person starts. We start completely in another place. The gospel says, let me give you four illustrations of how I think the gospel describes it. 
We are a football-loving church here. People love football. We just got done talking about Tim Tebow. In football, there's a 20 yards before the end zone called the red zone. And when you get into the red zone, the other team is trying to stop you because there's a very good chance you're going to score. And the red zone is a very important spot. There's a lot of battling, a lot of fighting going on in the red zone. We don't start that way as Christians with the gospel. Because of the gospel, we start in the end zone and not in the red zone. Because Jesus was the one who did all the fighting for us. So we're just here receiving the touchdown. We get to spike the ball with Jesus. He said, I don't really like football. Well, the gospel says this. The gospel says if you get a pension... Usually you have to work many years, not thousands of years, thankfully, but many years, it seems like it for some of you. You work long, you work a long 30 years, 25 years to get this pension, to have this treasure that just comes to you every day. I remember my dad first got his check. Uh, it was just like, that was a huge day for him. He got, the, he got it in the mail. He didn't have to go anywhere. They sent him money. You work for this, this treasure well, the Bible says that Jesus is our treasure, but when we have the gospel, when we've obeyed the gospel, we start with the pension without ever being on the payroll. We didn't have to work the 30 years. Jesus did all the work for us. You're in school, and you're struggling, you're in college, you're in high school. The gospel says this. The gospel says you are handed a diploma without ever doing the homework. It's just given to you. That's where we begin as Christians. That changes everything in our obedience. Jesus was the one who had to fight through the 15-yard line, the 10-yard line. He fought against all the opposition. He went to the cross, and he died, and he rose again, and he gives us the ball. He says, you know what? You couldn't do this. And somebody who understands the gospel looks at that and says, you know what? It is so amazing what Jesus did for me because I'm in the end zone and I look at the battle that just happened there and I couldn't do that because I was a sinner. I couldn't live correctly. I, I look at my pension, this treasure that I have, and I look at, I, I, didn't, I couldn't do that. I couldn't have worked that hard and accomplished that. I look at this diploma that I have and I think, I could never have gone to school and suffered that much. But it's even more than that if we really understand the gospel. We would say, you know what? Someone who is growing in the gospel and obeying the gospel would look at what the gospel says and she says, not only could I not do that because of my sin, I wouldn't want to do that because of my rebellion. If it was a football game because of my sin, I wouldn't have been helping Jesus. I would have chose to be on the other team. I would have been trying to stop him from getting across the finish line because I'm a sinner and I'm against God. If I'm at work, I would have called in sick all the time. I didn't want to help the company succeed, the gospel says. And if I was in school, I would not have worked that hard. I would have been making forging my mom's name and sitting, sitting in notes because I'm not going to do the homework. I'm not going to do the work. I'm a sinner in rebellion against God. And the gospel says, even though that is all true of us, we start in the end zone. We start with the pension, the treasure, and we start with the diploma. It's amazing because we were against everything that it took to get us to that point. That's the gospel. And by that walk of obedience, it's the obedience of the gospel that help us walk. And we, because we can do this, it will bring God's glory. It's obedience to God's glory, which is our walk of obedience. 
Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Jesus did all those things for us. He battled sin. He battled our rebellion. And his great mercy for us. He says, he says I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, because of everything that Jesus did for you. Undeserved what God went through for us. It was costly to him. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by, the testing, by, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What God will be pleased with is why we should obey. It will bring God glory. The reason for us to walk in obedience in 2012 because we obey the gospel. We look at what Jesus did for us and we say it is only because of grace. It's only because of grace that I can do this. It was not of me. I don't owe God. I can't owe God anything back. It's not because I'm a debtor to God. It's just sheer grace that I can obey God. I just can't get over the fact that I have the gospel. I can't get over that somebody would die for me even though I hated him, I rejected him, I sinned against him, I fought against him, yet he still loved me that much to come and rescue me. And he says, I want to make it for you to live the way I meant it for you to live. And so I sent my son for you. That's grace. And once we get over, if we can't, we must never get over the grace of God. 1 Corinthians 15 10. Paul says it this way. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Well, wait a second, Paul. Didn't you say that it's not about penance and doing stuff to earn God's favor, we are called to walk in obedience. The Holy Spirit is working in us, and we are also called, just like it says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, to, work in, to walk in obedience, but not because we're trying to pay back God, not because we're trying to be this debtor's ethic. It says this, but by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So it is God's grace when you obey. It is God's grace that is working in you. It is not you. It's never you. It is God's grace that's working in you. When you want to obey God this year, it's because the grace of God is working in you. It's because you have been hopefully rescued by the gospel and you're not doing it out of trying to earn God's favor. You realize that because of what Jesus did for you that you could never do for yourself, even when you were against him, he said, this is who you are. I have made you right with me. I've made you justified with me. Now you can grow to know me by grace. You can grow to know me by grace. And every time you take a step in obedience, it's not because you're paying me back, it's because I'm giving you more grace. You have an unbelievable treasure that will never stop. Every time you obey, it's because I just gave you more grace to obey. And so we have to rejoice again in the gospel, and it should humble us again in the, the gospel. It's a portrait of God's pleasure, the grace of God is. And it's a portrait of God's plan, that he wanted to make a way for us to live life 
in a way that it was meant to be so we can have the Holy Spirit to help us. And as we take these steps of grace and obedience, he gives us more grace and obedience. It's an unending reservoir of grace, and it's not because of work, and God delights in it. He's pleased with your obedience when that happens. A couple of years ago, we were on vacation to a friend's house. It was Big Lee, who was running Cedar Lake Camp at the time out in Indiana. So it was an extremely hot day in August. We're sitting in his living room, and we are just burning, burning up. The boys are starting to go crazy. It's almost too hot to go outside without something to do. And so Lee has access to the camp. And so he goes over to the camp, and he has this huge, massive water slide. You, you climb up on the top of it, you can slide down. It's got all kinds of stuff going on. So me and Lee, we went out and got the big slide. We brought it outside. It's extremely hot. I'm flopping the thing down. We're out there. We're sweating. We're, we're, we're putting the spikes in the thing. We get the thing all pumped up, and we are just drenched wet. And then we got two lawn chairs, or three lawn chairs. Uh, Teresa, Lee, and myself sat down, and we had the boys come out, and they played. And we sat and watched them play in the water, in the water slide, and delighted in it. We rejoiced in their obedience. I didn't expect them to come to me and say, hey, Dad, um, can I help you move this thing or do something else? What I wanted them to do was I wanted them to go on the water slide, enjoy the water slide, play on the water slide the way it was intended to be played for. Let them be refreshed by the water slide. That's what God does for us in his grace. He doesn't want us to try to work up our salvation. He already did that for us. He just wants us to accept the gospel by grace, obey it, and then live in it and realize it's not of us. It's all of him. And every time we obey him by that, with that motivation that we just want to enjoy his grace, it's like him sitting in a lawn chair delighting in us because he says, yes, that's the way it was supposed to be. Yes, I died for you. You can enjoy that. Keep sliding. Keep enjoying me. Keep obeying me. And the more that we do that, the more we get to know God, the more we get to know the heart of God, the more we get to enjoy God. That's what Paul says. I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. He wanted to know Jesus. When we obey God this way, it brings great delight to God and great joy to us. James 4, 6 talks about this. If we humble ourselves and we say, God, I can't do this. I need you. God draws near to those who humble themselves. That's what he wants. If we need help, he says, I'll give you grace. So he gave us the ability to pray in Hebrews 4, 16. Don't try to do it. Just rejoice in what I've done for you. And as God sees the work of your life lived out in obedience and his grace keep pumping out, that's what he wants to do. He wants to keep giving you grace. As you walk in obedience, he's going to honor that life. He's going to bless you even in your difficult times because it's going to be for his glory. And it's going to be a life lived fully even in the midst of failing because we are, have failings all over the place. We live in a broken world, but if we obey God by grace with this attitude, he is going to be glorified, and he will bless that kind of life. He is pleased with that kind of life. That's an enjoyment of the gospel. It's saying, God, I could not cross the finish line. I couldn't get across the end zone. I couldn't get my diploma. I couldn't get my pension on my own, but you did it. I don't deserve it, but I'll accept it. I'll just keep enjoying it. And God delights in that, and he loves it. And his heart is warmed by our obedience. 
Philippians three ten says this. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may obtain to the resurrection from the dead, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. The power of his resurrection is the gospel. How you become justified. The power of the resurrection is also how we, became, how we become sanctified, how we become more like Jesus Christ. And it's enjoying his grace. It's not, trying to pay, it's not trying to pay him back. It's just enjoying his grace. And it's walking in obedience. And every day, waking up and saying, I'm going to obey you because it pleases you. Because that brings you glory. Because this was your plan. To have people who are in rebellion against you now be able to live for you so you can watch this and enjoy this and partake of this and just pour out grace upon grace upon grace. And that attitude of obedience will move you this year to grow spiritually. It will move you closer to Jesus because the desire will be, wow, I have this treasure in Jesus and if I obey, I have more grace and more treasure. Wow, addictions like that I'm struggling with, that, that seems very small to go to that. You know, lust seems like something I shouldn't do this year. Uh, lying, I should avoid this year because that's going to take me away from this unbelievable treasure that I have in Jesus Christ. So you don't focus on that, you focus on Jesus, and that will explode the grace of God in your life and make you want to obey, and it will please God. And God will be enjoying you, you'll be enjoying God, and there will be great joy, even in the midst of some great pain. Obey God, enjoy God, and walk in obedience for His glory. Let's pray. Holy Father God, I just thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that you gave us unbelievable grace. Help us to understand it. Help us to embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we'd see that it is, it is Jesus that is our goal. That we'd focus more on Jesus this, this year than what we're trying to overcome. Lord, I, got, I know that there are people who are struggling with sin and with difficulties, God, help them to surrender that. Pray you to open up their eyes to the walk of obedience, that they would see Jesus more glorious than any sin they're struggling with. And you would draw them closer to you this year. Help us to walk in obedience. Open up our eyes so we can enjoy you even more. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. It's hard for
Mr. Ray. 